with my dire family history filled with all sorts of disease, I didn't want to go down that path. And now I'm in my mid-60s and still unscathed by a lot of disease. And I'm sure it's the way that I eat because nobody in my family reaches mid-60s without about a bunch of health problems. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about chronic inflammation. Sid Nodder has written the perfect book to explain how inflammation is at the root of many diseases. She actually created a presentation to share with us, and she'll discuss which foods are best for reducing inflammation. Make sure that you watch the YouTube video version of this conversation because there's a lot of great content, and you'll also want to grab a pen and paper to take notes. You might have to watch this several times. The full bio and links for my guests are always located on my website at healthylifestylesolutions.org. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you, Maya. It is so nice to meet you finally. Sid, I love everything that you're about, and I can't wait to hear all the content that you're going to share with us. Before you, um, before we move on to the presentation, I would love to learn more about you. How did you learn about the plant-based lifestyle? And then how did you combine the lifestyle with scriptures? Yeah, well, I started eating a vegetarian diet over 30 years ago when I became aware of animal welfare. So that was my initial reason. But I was eating a very unhealthy vegetarian diet filled with hostess cupcakes and frozen cheese pizza and all sorts of junk food. <laughs> so then a few years later, I thought, hmm, I ran into Dr. Pam Popper's classes. Somebody was uh, having a class in our local area. And I thought that would be something fun to do with my girlfriends. It wasn't that I was looking for health information, but it ended up opening my eyes so widely and so profoundly that I thought, wow, I really need to clean up my act. I'm not eating healthy at all. So then I switched to an unhealthy vegan diet at that point. So I was eating a lot of transition foods like the fake corn dogs and the fake cheeses and all the fake processed foods that are out there. But I was really growing in my passion for uh, plant-based nutrition at that point. And then a few years later, I would say maybe 13 years ago, maybe 14 now, is when I switched to a whole food plant-based, no oil added, um, healthier diet. But all that time, I started teaching classes and becoming certified for various doctors because I just had a passion that other people needed to know this. And with my dire family history filled with all sorts of disease, I didn't want to go down that path. And now I'm in my mid-60s and still unscathed by a lot of disease. And I'm sure it's the way that I eat because nobody in my family reaches mid-60s without about a bunch of health problems. So then about the book, you were asking me, how did that come about? Well, back in 2013, um, I had been leading a Bible study at our church for many years, one of the co-leaders there. And also, I was into nutrition, so I had those two things going on at once, and I began to see how they could actually correlate. For example, you know, Scripture says we're going to reap what we sow. In other words, the choices that we make are going to have consequences, and I thought, boy, that really ties in with diet. 
Because if we eat a bad diet, we can expect health problems, vice versa. And all these other principles I started discovering that could correlate. But um, I had no intention to write a book, Maya. That was the furthest thing from my mind. It was writing a book to encourage Christians to eat a better diet. That was not even on my radar. But, you know, the Lord had other plans. And one night he just laid it on me. You need to write all this down in a book. I thought, oh, okay. So it took me five years to write the book. And I was I was dragging my feet because I'm not, you know, an author by nature. I had to really investigate how to write a book, how to find a publisher, all the things involved with the book. And so I was about four and a half years into it. And um, the Lord just kind of reminded me, hello, are you, you know, I gave you that assignment. How's that going? And I thought, okay. I'm going to finish this book. 2018 is going to be the year I finished the book. So I had in six months, I wrote half the book where it took me four and a half years to write the first half. And then in six months, I wrote the second half because a publisher said, yeah, we'll take it, but you have to have it done by December of 18. So that's what really prompted me. And in the book, you know, as I said, I, it, even non-Christians like the book, it's not a preachy book. It just shows the correlations. If, between healthy eating and biblical principles. And um, so it has discussion questions in it too and could be used for an actual study. But I've gotten um, good reviews from even non-Christians about it, which encourages me. And we are so thankful that you did write the book because you have so much wisdom to share with us. We're going to learn about various chronic diseases and how inflammation is the root cause for many of them. And then you'll also tell us which foods to eat. Would you like to share your presentation with us? Yeah, this is a class that I taught at our local college for many years and was one of the most popular classes because I think everybody can relate to inflammation at some degree. I always like to point out that the materials presented are for information only and should not be construed as personal medical advice, right? So let's start off with what inflammation is. Inflammation is the body's natural response whenever it detects the threat of harm. I call it like the body's guard dog system, right? The the guard dog is on duty. They're looking for any threat that comes along. And for many years, inflammation was thought to be a good thing because it's designed to protect us. There are two basic types of inflammation, acute and chronic. So acute inflammation is the body's response to some type of injury, like a splinter or a cut or an infection. You know, it's it's designed for something short term. And the body sends immune cells to that area to start repairing and regenerating the damage. So pain, redness, swelling, and heat can often occur in that area. I'm sure you've had something happen, you know, and that area gets all red and swollen. In fact, the word inflammation comes from the Latin word inflammare, which means to set on fire. That's where we get that word. Mm -hmm. So acute inflammation is designed to protect us to start the healing process. And it typically lasts only a short time as the healing process begins. Chronic inflammation, on the other hand, is the body's way of protecting us against some type of threat that's lurking in the body that should not be there. The body is sensing some type of threat and it's sending out the immune cells, but they never go away. So the immune system is staying on high alert because it's encountering a threat 
and again, sending immune cells out to try to start the healing process. But those activated immune cells is what results in persistent, systematic, and chronic low-grade levels of inflammation. And inflammation plays a part in many of our diseases. In fact, almost every one of our top diseases and chronic ailments, and I'll talk about that in a second. But having that overactive immune system that results in inflammation, and the inflammation then overstays its welcome because the immune system is always on high alert. And when that happens, then it's no longer protective to our system. It's actually going to cause damage. So many things can contribute to chronic inflammation, including tissue injury and damage, infections, irritants, toxins, pollutants. Being overweight can even contribute it because our own fat tissues secrete something called cytokines, which are inflammatory cells. Being sedentary contributes to inflammation, as does smoking, having high LDL cholesterol, bacteria, viruses, parasites, chronic stress, and poor sleep habits. But by far, the biggest driver of inflammation is what we're putting into our bodies three times a day, most likely, which is our food choices. This is our biggest factor. Here are a few of the chronic conditions that are linked to inflammation. And I'll go through these really quickly. At one time, I had three slides. I've condensed it down to one. But even things like acid reflux, allergies, Alzheimer's and dementia, arthritis, in fact, anything ending in itis, and I'll talk about that in a second, asthma and bronchitis, autoimmune diseases, that's where the body uh, begins to attack itself because it can no longer distinguish between a foreign substance and its own healthy tissues. Cancer, Crohn's disease, and irritable bowel, diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, obesity, osteoporosis. And again, anything ending in itis means that there's inflammation like bronchitis, tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, gingivitis. All of these, anything ending in itis means that part of the body is inflamed. So I think arthritis is the thing that most people associate with inflammation. And there are two general types of, of arthritis. The first one is osteoarthritis, which is the breakdown of cartilage in the joints. And that results in some stiffness and um, stiffness and pain, but it does not result as it does not occur rather as the result of an altered immune system. It's generally associated with aging and wear and tear, or it might be due to a traumatic injury to the joint. The other one is inflammatory arthritis. And there are many forms of that, including psoriatic arthritis or gout or rheumatoid arthritis or RA, which is the most common form. That's where inflammation of the tendons, ligaments and joint linings all contribute to RA, and these conditions result in pain, the stiffness, the swollenness, the limited movement, and the fatigue. And we could spend hours talking about inflammation's role in arthritis and all of those other conditions, but since heart disease remains our number one killer, I just want to take a few seconds to talk about how inflammation harms our heart, because every almost everyone has been affected by heart disease to some degree, right? Or they know someone who has. So one of our arteries are actually one of the most likely sites for inflammation to occur. 
because the lining of our arteries is where deposited fats and cholesterol form plaques that resemble these small sores. And naturally, the body sees those small sores as a threat, and so it responds accordingly by sending all those immune cells into the system to heal the damage. And here's an illustration. So the, the lining on the inside of our artery walls is lined with a thin layer of protective cells called endothelial cells. And in this illustration, that would be the thin pink layer on the inside of the healthy artery there on the left. Those endothelial cells produce nitric oxide, which keep our vessels open and keep the blood flowing well. But when that lining gets damaged, fats and cholesterols then enter the artery wall and pave the way for plaque formation as shown there on the artery on the right. And as mentioned, the body sees those plaques as a threat and it dispatches immune cells, which always remain in, um, activated then and result in chronic inflammation. Now, there are no nerve endings in our blood vessels, which is why we don't feel excruciating pain going on when all of this is taking place. But here's where it gets even trickier because some of those hovering immune cells then switch teams. They go from being protective immune cells to actually damaging cells. And when that happens, those damaging cells combine with the fats and cholesterol and actually continue to further plaque formation. So it's like a vicious cycle. Some of those damaging immune cells are called those cytokine cells that I mentioned that our own fat tissues release those cytokine cells. And some of those cytokine cells can then recruit other cells to jump in and cause trouble too. And they produce uh, symptoms like eczema and fatigue and arthritis. So I found a study that was released in March of 2008 by the La Jolla Institute for Allergy and Immunology. And this study was reported, was, um, I'm sorry, supported by the American Heart Institute, the American Diabetes Association. And they examined the role of those damaging immune cells. And these researchers reported that a diet high in fat and cholesterol depletes the artery protecting immune cells turning them into promoters of inflammation, which worsens plaque buildup that occurs in cardiovascular disease. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. The researchers said that inflammation is a key contributor to the hardening and narrowing of the arteries. And the lead researcher was saying that um, people think that atherosclerosis is just about cholesterol, diet, and exercise, but it's actually an immune disease. The blockage of arteries is very much due to the system reacting to excess cholesterol and fats in the walls of the blood vessels. So that was a very interesting study that kind of sums up everything about how um, protective immune cells can turn to damaging cells. Okay, let's get on to talk about which foods are inflammatory and which foods are anti-inflammatory. And there's good news and bad news. First, I'll start with the bad news, even though we usually like to start with the good news. Processed sugar is usually one of the biggest uh, things that people struggle with because it's highly addictive. Specifically, refined sugars, which are found in soft drinks and fruit juice and um, sweet tea, pastries, desserts, cookies, candies, snack cakes, and cereals. And... This is because sugar, refined sugar, stimulates the production of something called free fatty acids, 
which circulate through the bloodstream and trigger both insulin resistance and inflammation in the skeletal system and the liver and those protective endothelial cells that we talked about. Sugar also releases, uh, triggers the release, release of those inflammatory cytokine cells that I mentioned. In fact, just 40 grams of sugar a day, which is basically one can of soda pop, leads to an increase in those inflammatory markers. The second one that's highly inflammatory are common oils, including olive oil, canola, safflower, cottonseed, soybean, sunflower, any oil. And I know this may be surprising to many of you since oils are often touted as health foods. And I once believed that too. I always used to cook with oil. And oils gained a lot of popularity back in the 1990s, partly due to their use in the Mediterranean diet. I'm always reluctant to call oil a food because really it's just the extracted fat from a food, right? All oils are 100% pure liquid fat and they're found everywhere, especially in fried foods and packaged products. Margarine, which typically is all oils, mayonnaise, dips, dressings, bakery items, breads, peanut butter, crackers, frozen entrees, and that's just the tip of the iceberg of packaged foods and processed foods that contain oil. So one tablespoon of oil has 120 calories and 14 grams of fat. So not only are, are oils big weight busters, but they are health busters as well because Many cardiologists and researchers are now telling us that these oils are damaging the endothelial lining of our arteries, that protective lining. And once that artery uh, lining gets damaged, it paves the way for plaque formation. Plus oils are also highly inflammatory due to their uh, large, um, because of the high omega-6 content. Omega-6 is, um, a very inflammatory thing. I mean, we do need some omega-6, but when we have too much of it, it's highly inflammatory. And oils metabolize into another form of omega-6, something called LA, linoleic acid. So oils impair our circulation. They have clotting factors equal to animal fats. They promote insulin resistance. They lower our good cholesterol while raising the bad and they have direct toxic effects on that protective endothelial lining of our arteries. Dr. Esselstyn talks a lot about that. So I found another study that was also released in 2018, and this was conducted at a heart institute in Kansas City. And the researchers there were looking at the effect of vegetable oils as a driver of heart disease, and they concluded with this statement. In summary, numerous lines of evidence show that the omega-6 polyunsaturated fat linoleic acid, which is a form of omega-6, promotes oxidative stress, oxidized LDL, chronic low-grade inflammation, and atherosclerosis, and is likely a major dietary culprit for causing coronary heart disease, especially when consumed as vegetable oils. So what caught me up my eye too about this study as I read it is that the researchers stated that the intake of omega-6 fatty acids can be even more damaging to our endothelial cells than even saturated fat. This is why we want to get all the oils out of our diet, the added oils. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's very surprising. 
And I always like to throw a word in too about coconut oil here because I'm not only is it 100% fat, like all oils are, but 92% of it is saturated fat. And so to put that in perspective, a tablespoon of lard has five grams of saturated fat and a tablespoon of coconut oil has 12 grams. So coconut oil has more than double the saturated fat as lard. And saturated fat, we'll talk about this in a minute, is rated as the most pro-inflammatory food component. And I'll tell you why that is in just a minute. But that's why uh, we need to really focus on getting the oils out of our diet, especially coconut oil, because of its high saturated fat content. So right along with oils are hydrogenated oils, also known as trans fats. And those can be found in fast food, frozen pizza, cookies, crackers, ready-to-use frostings, coffee creamers, and frozen pies, and many, many other items. So when oils are heated with hydrogen, they convert from an oil form into a solid shortening that's even higher in saturated fat. And trans fats not only um, are a double whammy because they increase our bad cholesterol while lowering our good cholesterol, they promote inflammation, obesity, insulin resistance, and so much more. And even our government, who is really quite lenient with food manufacturers, says there's no safe amount of trans fats that we could you know, eat safely. There's no safe amount. The next inflammatory food would be meats and processed meats. One of the biggest reasons is because they are high in saturated fat, again, which is the most pro-inflammatory food component because the body reacts so negatively to it. Another reason is that meats contain a molecule called NEU5GC, which is found in meats and fish and some dairy products, but it is not found in humans. It's a molecule that humans do not have, so the body sees it as foreign, and it tries to combat it by keeping those activated immune cells in the system. NEU5GC is also shown to increase the risk of tumor formation. Cholesterol is another reason uh, that triggers inflammation. Cholesterol is another big pro-inflammatory food component. Excess cholesterol contributes that inflammatory response and it becomes a vicious cycle because inflammation speeds up the accumulation of cholesterol Remember how I talked about when fats and cholesterols grow into the artery wall, they actually start working with these bad immune cells to contribute to more, and it becomes a vicious cycle. Remember, plant foods contain zero cholesterol, and so eventually those hardened uh, deposited cholesterol hardens into a plaque, which can rupture and cause the, the uh, artery to be blocked and cause a heart attack or a stroke. So animals are also fed a diet high in omega-6. So when we're eating animal foods, we're eating basically what they've eaten. Factory farmed animals, um, the more studies confirm that the more animal protein we eat, the higher levels of inflammatory markers there are in our blood. And meats also contain something called AGEs, advanced glycation end products, which also trigger inflammation. And these harmful compounds are formed when protein or fat combines with sugar in our bloodstream. That's a process called glycation. And that triggers inflammation in our system. And those AGEs can form either inside your body or they're already in the foods that we eat. And certain cooking methods of meat 
uh, such as grilling or frying, it causes the level of AGEs to skyrocket in meat. The next inflammatory food would be dairy, like milk, butter, cheese, yogurt, ice cream, pudding, sour cream. And again, for a couple of reasons, one is that they're high in saturated fat, which we just talked about is very pro-inflammatory. In fact, cheese is the highest source of saturated fat in the American diet. So all, all the cheese that people are eating, highly inflammatory. Plus dairy contains those advanced glycation end products that we just talked about as far as other, as well as rather other toxins that our body sees as foreign threats. Dairy is also a common allergen in a lot of people and that alone can trigger inflammation such and, and result in things like stomach distress or constipation or diarrhea, skin rashes and hives. And many people don't even realize they're allergic to dairy until they stop consuming it and then they realize how much better they feel. Refined grains are another inflammatory food. Uh, white rice, white bread, white flour, white noodles, cakes, cookies, biscuits, pastry, cereals, pretzels. That is because the grains have been stripped of their outer coatings where all the fiber and nutrition lives. So these grains get stripped of their outer coatings and then they're devoid of fiber, which spikes our blood sugar and causes a pro-inflammatory chemical reaction called glycation that we just talked about. So uh, refined grains can spike our blood sugar very easily. You might even notice that sometimes you'll feel a high and a low after you're eating um, a refined carb dessert or some type of pastry. Other things that lead to inflammation are the regular consumption of alcohol, which can damage the um, intestinal lining and lead to a condition called leaky gut. That drives inflammation through the body. Plus, alcohol also suppresses the immune system and impairs the function of key organs. In fact, um, the Arthritis Foundation has listed several warnings about drinking alcohol if you're taking NSAID drugs, NSAID, the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen or Aleve or acetaminophen. So that's something you might want to explore if you're taking those um, anti-inflammatory drugs and you're drinking, you might want to go to the Arthritis Foundation website and see the warnings that are listed there. Food additives are also inflammatory, things like MSG and aspartame and other things, because again, the body sees those man-made products as foreign, and therefore it can dispatch immune cells to try to combat them. People suffering from RA are especially susceptible to inflammation triggered by these additives. And then there's fill in the blank, which is any food allergy or sensitivity that someone might have. And of course, the most common are gluten, dairy, nuts, eggs, and nightshade, nightshade vegetables for people that are sensitive to solanine. So have we had enough bad news now? Can we talk about some good news proteins? <laughs> Let's move on to the anti-inflammatory foods now. Starchy foods like potatoes, beans, rice, legume, and whole grains. These all contain anti-inflammatory properties like resistant starch, fiber, and anthocyanins, which are flavonoids. And beans are an especially good source of folic acid and antioxidants, all of which are high in fiber and other anti-inflammatory ingredients. So remember how we talked about saturated fat being the most pro-inflammatory food component. Fiber is the most 
anti-inflammatory food component, and we'll be talking more about fiber as we go along. Then there's veggies, fruits, mushrooms, and dark greens. All of these are highly anti-inflammatory because they're high in antioxidants, lycopene, flavonoids, carotenoids, fiber, as well as other nutrients, which are all anti-inflammatory properties. So go for a wide range of color in both vegetables and fruits to get lots of those phytochemicals. Whole grains like steel-cut oats, brown rice, barley, quinoa, buckwheat, and wild rice are high in fiber and it boosts the immune system by feeding our beneficial gut bacteria. So our gut bacteria thrives on fiber, our good gut bacteria, I should say, thrive on fiber. And when that happens, it really reduces the risk of inflammation. And then soy products, which are filled with isoflavones, omega-3, and phytoestrogens, which really is just plant estrogen. And we're talking about whole soy foods here, like tofu or edamame or soy milk or miso or tempeh. Um, we're not talking about isolated soy proteins here. We're talking about whole soy foods. And those products should always be purchased organic if possible, or at least non-GMO. So there's no need to exclude whole soy foods if you want to make a tofu-based chocolate pudding or marinate some tofu in a stir fry, then there's no need to exclude those, those products. I mean, there's no need to consume them either if you don't like soy, but there's no need to avoid the whole soy products as well. Nuts and seeds like almonds, walnuts, and Brazil nuts, chia seeds, ground flaxseed. All of these nuts are anti-inflammatory due to their omega-3 content, magnesium, and vitamin E. And then we have herbs and spices like garlic, turmeric, ginger, curry, cinnamon, and many others. They have powerful, uh, powerful chemical compounds, which are known to lower inflammation and support the immune system and improve digestion as well. Green tea is also anti-inflammatory because it's a rich source of polyphenols and catechins. In fact, green tea contains something called epigalacocatechin 3-galate, or EGCG for short, which has particularly potent anti-inflammatory effects. So always purchase high-quality tea, green tea, and correctly brew it for the maximum health benefits. So overall, whole plant foods contain fiber. Again, the most anti-inflammatory component in food is fiber. And again, only plants contain fiber. There's no fiber in beef or chicken or steak or pudding or yogurt. So beans and legumes and split peas and chickpeas and lentils and whole grains, all are wonderful sources of fiber. Fiber releases butyrate into our bloodstream, which provides broad anti-inflammatory effects. And again, there's no fiber in pork chops or salmon or eggs or chicken. So a high fiber diet is related to a lower risk of cardiovascular disease and cancer. And the recommended daily allowance for fiber is 32 grams a day, yet less than 3% of Americans are even meeting the RDA. About Americans get about half of that, about 15 to 17 grams of fiber a day. But the healthiest people on earth are getting at least 45 grams of fiber through their food. And that's not through the man-made functional fiber products like Benefiber and Fiber One. We're talking about getting our fiber directly from food sources. 
It's not unusual for whole food plant-based eaters to be getting 50, 60, or even more grams of health-promoting fiber a day because, again, fiber is only found in plant foods. Let me share here a little bit about the Dietary Inflammatory Index. This came out in 2009, and it was developed by the American Institute for Cancer Research, the National Institutes of Health, and the Prevent Cancer Foundation. And the goal of these researchers was to evaluate the implications of chronic inflammation on today's major diseases. So the index didn't rate individual foods per se, but it looked at the different components of food, the different parameters of food. And broadly speaking, the components of processed food and animal products with the saturated fat, trans fats, and cholesterol all of that was found to be pro-inflammatory, very pro-inflammatory, but the fiber and phytonutrients in vegetables, fruits, whole grains, and spices were all found to be anti-inflammatory, basically confirming everything that we've just talked about. So in this index, the pro-inflammatory diets had a really high score and the anti-inflammatory diets had a lower score. So here's what the researchers reported at the end of the study, that in addition to making people feel achy and lethargic, they said that the higher scores, which are the pro-inflammatory diets, equated to a lower function of the kidneys, lungs, and liver, and a higher risk of cardiovascular disease, impaired memory, and mental health, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, arthritis, weight gain, and many types of cancer. And get this, with a 75% increased odds of cancer, and I had to read that study about four times because I could not believe it. It was so incredibly um, high, and this is coming from our top cancer researchers, the study. That's why it's really important to heed this information about inflammation and which foods are inflammatory, because eating a really high inflammatory diet greatly increases the risk of developing cancer. The researchers also said that when it comes to those non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, the NSAIDs, they said that dietary modification is safer and more beneficial than the drugs, right? I always like to repeat that last statement. Dietary modification is safer and more beneficial than the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. So what can you do about it if you suspect you have inflammation or you know that you have well, there's a blood test available called a CRP, C-reactive protein test, and that's a measurement of chronic inflammation going on somewhere in the body. So it won't tell you where you're inflamed, but it will just tell you if you have inflammations. Uh, C-reactive protein is produced in the liver, and the levels of it rise when we have inflammation in the body. Ideally, CRP levels are less than one milligram per liter. But if, say, if we have an infection or something, that, that can jump to like 100 or more, 100 milligrams per liter or more within hours. But the medical community is now realizing that even just having a reading of two or three increases the risk of cardiovascular disease. So they've said that having a CRP level under one indicates a low risk of cardiovascular disease. A reading of two or three indicates a moderate risk and a reading of three or higher indicates a high risk. And the trouble is that most middle-aged Americans today do have a uh, CRP number that is higher than three. 
And uh, most of us are indeed suffering from chronic inflammation in America because of the Western diet. So if you determine, if you discover that you do have a high CRP level, the best steps to take would be to determine the underlying cause of the high reading and address it with lifestyle changes. As mentioned earlier, diet is by far the biggest determinant of your health, more than any other factor, including your genetics, right? Diet even trumps genetics. So when these inflammatory foods are part of the root cause of the problem, the optimal solution would be to change the foods that are being consumed. And the cool thing is your body is always striving to heal itself. And we have that going for us, right? That's a benefit in our favor that the body is always trying to heal. And when we give it the right dietary environment to do that, it can start healing. So what else you could do would be to quit smoking because the, the nicotine um, is a factor that contributes to inflammation. Get physical exercise, reduce your stress levels, lose weight and reduce the body fat. Because remember we talked about um, having excess weight when we have that body fat, extra body fat, actually releases those inflammatory cytokine cells. That's why we want to maintain a normal weight as best we can. And of course, the biggest factor would be to consume the most anti-inflammatory and health-promoting diet that's out there, a high-fiber, densely nutritious, whole food, plant-based, no added oil, I might add, diet, which can reduce CRP levels by 30% in as little as two weeks. So imagine what it could do if that was your new normal way of eating, right? Imagine how low your inflammation markers could go. So um, we probably don't have time to go into all of this, but there are a lot of miracle claims out there about inflammation. Just be very aware that most of them, which are listed on the Arthritis Foundation's website, are fraudulent. Um, cactus juice, you know, there's things out there that people buy to try to reduce their inflammation. And a lot of them are just gimmicks. So I always just want to say it's the overall pattern that matters. Other things that I've seen people do is they'll say, oh, well, spices are anti-inflammatory. I'm going to add more spice to my beef stir fry. Well, no, <laughs> it's the overall pattern of the diet that matters most, not adding one or two superfoods. That's not to say there aren't some superfoods out there like berries and flaxseed and turmeric. Those are all wonderful. But adding those things to a poor diet is not going to make much difference, unfortunately. It's the pattern that matters. Plant foods also contain antioxidants. And those antioxidants protect against those inflammatory cytokine cells. Plus, they combat inflammatory oxidative stress. Antioxidants are things like vitamins A, C, and E. We find those in beans, berries, sweet potatoes, apples, cherries, dark greens, pecans, grapes, squash, and dark chocolate. And then I've got some testimonies there. I won't go through all of those right now, but what are we going to eat? You know, that's what people always ask. Well, here's a few of our favorite things. We like to make barbecued lentil loaf with mashed potatoes and golden gravy or cheesy broccoli soup. Yes, there are ways to make wonderful cheesy soups and sauces without using any dairy, just by using plant foods, creamy chili pasta, plant-based burgers, African peanut stew, easy lasagna roll-ups, sloppy joes, which can be made a lot of different ways, lots of stir fries, there's hearty chili and cornbread, cheesy Mexican tortilla bake, there's sorbets and chocolate mousse, 
And so you can see that eating a whole food plant-based diet is anything but bland and boring. And we're certainly not eating twigs and tree bark as people are asking me, what do you guys eat? Like twigs and grass? <laughs> no, we eat a lot of delicious food. Excellent presentation, Sid. Thank you so much for that. It's great information for people that are coming on board for the first time and also excellent reminders for the rest of us who are already on board but can sometimes can veer off to eating processed plant-based foods. And as you were talking about, those processed foods still have salt, oil, and sugar, which contribute to inflammation. Now, I'm wondering, this information may seem a little overwhelming for someone who's just plant-based curious. So what would you say would be the best approach for someone who is just getting started? It could sure be overwhelming, Maya, for people that are just starting out because it does seem so overwhelming. So I always encourage my clients to find six or eight things at once that you really like and Keep repeating those and adding in a new recipe every week or so till you build up a big repertoire, but try not to be overwhelmed by all of it at first. Keep it very simple. Make a whole grain pasta with an oil-free marinara sauce and some steamer veggies on top or get some frozen rice and you know some frozen veggies. Do things that are very simple. And even in my book, there's easy meals. You know, you can steam a potato and top it with a healthy soup, things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a transition plan and some people jump in overnight because they're, they're tired of being sick and they want to jump in overnight, but most people want to transition in. And so I do like a five or six week transition plan in the book as well, but you've got to have an end date on the calendar by this day, I'm going to be all in. Otherwise, if you don't keep moving forward, it's easy to get sucked back into the old way of eating because you're still eating some of those old foods as you transition. Keep the foods very simple. Find only six or eight things to start with and, and try to um, keep moving forward, though. You have to keep moving forward and incorporating more plants in as you go every week. So what are some uh, some common fears and misconceptions that you may hear from people who are a little hesitant about adopting this way of life? Misconceptions would be that... Um, First of all, that plant foods are bland or boring. You know, we're just going to eat lettuce every day and celery. That's the biggest misconception because they don't understand the variety of food. Now, there's the, they also believe that the plant foods don't contain protein or calcium. You know, they're going to be missing out on some key nutrients that they don't believe plants have when in fact plants are the source of protein and calcium, which is funny. Uh, they believe it's too expensive to eat this way often when actually it's once you buy the staples to get started, like, you know, you're going to need some different things. But once you buy that, it's almost always cheaper to eat a plant based diet than the standard American diet. They believe that they're, again, going to be missing out on nutrients. Um, there's a whole list of misconceptions in my book, too. They think it's... Um, they, they don't think that it's healthy. You know, they've, they've not been convinced that eating, they, they believe they need the animal protein, you know, for sure. A lot right. of people do. But there's also big misconceptions about the way that their food is affecting them. That's a big disconnect in my book. They don't understand that the food is affecting them so negatively. They'll all agree that, yeah, fruits and veggies are good for us, but they don't understand how bad the other foods really are. Right. A big disconnect. 
that I see all the time. I mean, if they were to have uh, eat a cheeseburger and have excruciating chest pain right then, they might put it together. But because there's a big time lag, you know, for disease to develop, unless they have an allergy or something to it, then they might know right away if something is affecting their health. You mentioned the 80-10-10 rule, which I'm a little familiar with. Can you share that uh, for our listeners just in case it's new information? The 80-10-10 rule is eating a diet that's 80% complex carbs, 10% protein, 10% fat in that range, you know, and that would be the whole food plant-based diet. And we don't have to be overly mindful of those numbers when we're eating a whole food plant-based diet. Those things just kind of naturally fall into place. As long as we're keeping our fat intake low is, you know, with the higher fat plant foods like nuts and avocados and yes, olives and other high fat things. But I knew I had marching orders from the Lord that I needed to write that book. And I thought he knows who's, who has to read this and he's going to put it out there in the right hands. <laughs> A lot of people I personally know that I wish would read it, you know, but aren't interested in reading it. But That's always the case. I once heard someone say that you can't be a hero in your own home. So I want to mention that I have my own copy of the Plan A Diet book. It's an excellent book. I actually plan on um, getting some copies and giving them to people that I love. So what is the best way for people to purchase the book and also the best way to learn more about you? The best way would be to just go to my website, sidnotter.com. That's C-Y-D-N-O-T-T-E-R.com. And there you can see the book and you can see the free 21-day meal plan. And there's a free webinar there called Three Food Mistakes That Lead to Painful Joints and Excess Weight and Health Problems the Doctors Aren't Solving. So there's a free webinar there that they could watch as well. But that's really the hub to buy the book or or uh, get involved, or sign up for my newsletter, you get 10 free dessert smoothies, which are awesome. If you have a sweet tooth like I do, and sometimes you want something really delicious, the dessert smoothies are the, the way to go. So with all of this that you have going on, I'm just going to go ahead and ask anyway, do you have anything else coming up, any pending lectures, talks, or events that you'll be part of? Right now, I happen to be in Florida, and I'm speaking at nine veg fests here in Florida right now, different, sometimes they're remote, sometimes they're in person. Okay. And so I'm doing that. And I'm also involved. I'll be on Chef AJ's show again, coming up soon. I'm preparing for that. So I have things in the, in the works here, but I'm not really teaching at the college right now, but I am doing things for my own clients. Excellent. Wow. You are really staying busy. So everyone, make sure that you follow Sid so that you can learn about her webinars and her appearances on Chef AJ and all of that. So curious, um, where in Florida are you located? We're down in the Cape Coral, Fort Myers area. Sunday, I'll be speaking in Punta Gorda, which is nearby. Sid, it has been such a pleasure hearing from you, learning about the wisdom that you have to share. And I encourage everyone to grab a copy of the Plan A Diet Book. Thank you, Maya. It's so cool yeah. to meet you finally. I'm a big fan <laughs> of everything you're doing too, you know, and oh, I'm glad our paths crossed. Hopefully we'll meet one day. Love that. Thank you again, Sid. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. 
feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. You can also head on over to podinbox.com forward slash HLS to leave me a voicemail. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, thank you for listening.